How's everybody doing? Good? Can we just appreciate our worship team for this morning for bringing us to the throne? Sometimes we take for granted the talents and skills that people have in our church, and it's beyond our worship team. It's so many people in our church. They volunteer. They do so many things, and what a great season just to honor everybody for using their gifts and talents for the kingdom. This Christmas, I don't know if you've had that moment, but some of us, especially you know, parents, we, we sit down and we say, we want this Christmas to be different. Do we not? We want it to go better than last year. You remember when the food went bad and people were fighting and... We don't want to spend as much because we don't want to have to pay the credit card bills and we don't want to get the wrong gifts and husbands pay attention to your wife's Pinterest pages. That's all I got for you on that. But we, we want to make sure that this Christmas is different. It seems like every year it's a goal. Like, let's make sure this one is the best yet. Let's make sure this one is the one that really leaves the memories and, and makes the marks in our lives. And so as, uh, as, as we were preparing for the message, Lynn Taylor, the campus pastor of Mount Juliet, Justin Led, our teaching pastor, and myself, we were sitting around just was kind of talking about what are some things that we can encourage the church before we begin this series, but what can we encourage the church to do to make this Christmas different? So we have three things that we want to encourage you as a family and as a church body to, to really be mindful of and to be praying about to make this Christmas different and really special. The first one is, is really practical, and that is to make sure that as a family, you spend with biblical wisdom. Don't feel like you have to play keep up or catch up with the Joneses as you go through the stores and, and buying everything. Spend with biblical wisdom. Be wise about how you spend, making sure that what you spend is what you can afford, and you don't put yourself in a bad situation. Let me encourage you by that because some of you think that the expensive gift will be the difference maker. I promise that's the heart behind the gift, not the amount that you paid for it. So let's make this year different when we spend. Maybe some of you have to go back and think maybe we'll just change the budget from Black Friday a little bit. But this year, let's spend and let's do things out of biblical wisdom. Let's also don't use this season, parents, to be the only time of the year that our children know and feel the love that we have for them. Love is not expressed through presence. Love is expressed through daily in investing and just being a part of your children's lives. This is not the series to make up for the last 11 months. This is not the, this is not the time that four gifts or five gifts or $1,000 spent on gifts will make up for 11 months of not doing anything. Use this season to teach your children how much you love God and use the entire year from here forward to teach your children how much you love them. Now, I promise you, the kids will tell you they love you, but we can do a better job telling them that we, lo we love them. So let's use this season, let's use this time to spiritually invest in our children and spiritually invest in our families. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe it's the in-laws. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's aunts and uncles. Whatever your family is, make sure that this is not the time where you tell them one time a year that you love them, but you make it the beginning of telling them how much you love God and use the entire year to tell them how much you love each other. The last thing that we would tell you is give to something that's bigger than you. As you think about this Christmas, as you think about things, as you're budgeting, set aside some budget money within your Christmas budget to give to something larger than yourself. Maybe you give to our church. Maybe you give to one of our angel trees or one of our Love Out Loud mission partnerships. Maybe you give to an organization that you're connected to. But make a sizable gift to something bigger than yourself, specifically and particularly to something that proclaims the gospel. 
And use that time to really teach your family, we love God so much that we want to set aside something to shine the light of Christ to other people and to do things different to make sure the gospel goes to the corners of the earth. It is our belief, the three of us, as we sat down, we prayed over this, that those three things, if we will do those things, this Christmas will be different than any other. And this will be the beginning of a life change and a mile marker for every family that goes well beyond your immediate family, but goes on to your children and to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and so forth. But it starts with you. Now, some of your children are panicking over here in the student section. And the good news is the Kids Life kids can't hear me right now. Like, does that mean I get less presents? If it does, it'll be okay. Because it's the heart behind the gift, not the size or the quantity of gifts. All right? But we love you guys, and we want you to have the best Christmas ever. As we get into this season and getting into the message this morning, without really raising your hand, because I don't want you to feel embarrassed, and I don't want you to kind of like feel like everybody's pointing the finger at you, but how many of you could just use hope this Christmas season? How many of you just need a, just a fresh hug from the Lord just to, to be reminded that He hasn't left you, and that He has something for you? How many of us just need to hope that we can make it through the dark season that we're particularly going through right now? How many of us could just use the hope that what we're seeing and what we're experiencing is not the best, but God, can, God is doing more and he will do more? How many of you just hope for a better marriage, a better family, a better job, a better tomorrow? See, I believe that hope is an exciting thing. It's also a very dangerous weapon. I was, I was telling somebody a long time ago, they were, they were going through a really rough season, and I'll never forget the words. They were like, what am I going to do? And I just asked them. They, there was the family was getting ready to uh, potentially go to the lawyer and sign the divorce papers. And I just asked one person in the family, I said, let me just ask you this. Do you still have hope? Yes. Do you still have trust in Jesus? Yes. Then you have all you need to keep moving forward. And you're just going to take one day at a time. Hope is exciting, and when we have it, when we experience it, it's not an emotion. It's just something that we have. It's a noun. It's something we have, and when we have it, we just we get excited about it. It's that thing that keeps us going. Some of you that were in the you were soldiers, and you fought in the military, and some of you that are, are teachers, and, and like when fighting in the army and teachers, same thing sometimes. But you get these things. You think about your finances. You think about your home. You think about everything. It that little glimmer of hope doesn't it make you just want to keep going because it's always out there. Something is on the horizon. You don't know what it is. You don't know how it's going to be. But you're keeping going because in your mind you have hope. That's what we want for you this Christmas. Because when Jesus Christ comes on the scene this Christmas, it is the gift of hope that God has given to the world. When you think about all the things that you're going through, all the things that you've been through, all the, the terrible things, the good things, everything in between, when you experience and you feel and you see and you realize the hope that God gives to us through Jesus Christ, it is exciting, it is contagious, and it is life-changing. But we need to embrace it. This season, we're going to go through the gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at the love that changed the world. We're going to go through Advent. We're going to look at the hope and the love and the joy and the peace, and we're going to look at Jesus. But it all starts with hope. When I was growing up, generally, and maybe some of you are the same boat, when you started going through the Christmas season, we always started in Luke 2. That's where we went, right? But before Luke 2 is Luke 1. And before Luke 1 is a promise that God made 400 years prior to that. This hope, this is exciting. 
And I want to share with you this morning a few things about this hope. We're going to get into that promise that God made. But what is hope? I want you to look at two definitions for me real quick. The first one is the English translation that hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. This is the hope that you have. That there is something, a feeling, an ex- expectation, a desire for something to happen. In Greek, it's a little, wor- it's a little weird. It's el peace. And there's a number of translations, but when you put it into the context of Luke chapter 1, it means joyful and confident expectation of external, excuse me, eternal, not external, eternal salvation. So the desire of something to come, something to happen, and then you think about the Greek and it says the confident expectation of eternal salvation. This is the hope that God is trying to bring to your life. But it didn't start right now. It started 400 years ago. And to kind of give you an understanding of what was happening, I am one that thinks that many times, and I was taught this by my Old Testament professor at Dallas Baptist University, the one thing that we often learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And so as you track mankind, as you track the children of Israel, as you track the Bible, you will see time and time again where we will do good and then we will do bad and then we will do good and we will do bad and we will do good and we will do bad and so forth. So to set up 400 years ago, before Luke 1, what was happening 400 years prior to, to, to Jesus coming to the world, let me set it up for you in 2 Timothy 3, 5, 1 through 5, because it's the same thing happening in Timothy as is happening in Malachi, where we're about to go here in just a second. And Timothy says this, he says, hard times will come in the last days. For the people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents. Not these kids, right? None of these kids. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control. They will be brutal. They will love out of what, without love for what is good. They will be traitors. They will be reckless. They will be conceited. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Say that 10 times fast. And you're like, well, that's New Testament. No, New Testament learned from the Old Testament. Who learned from the Old Testament? Who learned from every generation previous? And Malachi, where we're about to go, Malachi 3, if you want to get there right now while I'm talking, Malachi is experiencing this that Timothy, Paul is describing to Timothy right now where he's saying, look, the world has come to a place where they know God. They understand God. They've even been to the the scriptures, but they are not living for God. They are not identifying with God's power. God has become not a a relationship to have, but more of a like, you know, just a mystic being that is out there. But, you know, if he shows up, great. If he doesn't show up, no big deal. We have that situation now where we, we love God. We say we love God. We'll show up. We'll sing some songs. We'll read some scriptures. We'll study the Bible. But do we live it? Do we understand it? And this is the children of Israel. From the time of Genesis to the time of Malachi, it is a roller coaster of love and hate for God and the children of Israel. Because they would love him, they would hate him, they would follow him kind of, but not all the way, but then they would love him, then they would hate him, they kind of go all the way. And God is kind of at that point where it's like things are getting ready to change. What they don't understand in Malachi and what Malachi is getting ready to say is at this particular moment, God is about to go silent for 400 years. He is not going to talk. He is not going to send a prophet. There is not going to be anything other than the scriptures that they have on paper. God is about to go silent for 400 years. 
But before he does, God offers the hope that there is a horizon on the way. And he says this in Malachi 3.1. He says, see, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And then you will seek suddenly, uh, then, then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of covenant will come, excuse me, the messenger of the covenant you delight in, you will see that he is coming, says the Lord of armies. Then fast forward to Malachi 4.5. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. What God is doing right there before he goes silent for 400 years is he is setting up the next great act. And he is getting ready to do something that will change the world forever. And for some of us, that's about what we feel. We feel like God has been silent. We can't say 400 years. I mean, if you think about it, our nation is only, what, 1776? Do the math on that. I did not do it beforehand, should have. But we're about halfway, a little more than halfway there. We don't have a clue what these people are going through. We don't like it when God is five minutes silent. And yet they have been with, like this for 400 years. And God is saying, I'm going to go silent, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be what is going to make the difference both in the present and in the eternal. But before I come, I'm going to send a messenger. And he is going to prepare the way for me. And he is going to bring to you the hope that you so desperately need. And his name is John the Baptist. And it's unusual to talk about John when we start thinking about Christmas because we want to talk about Jesus. But before Jesus came, there was somebody that prepared the way and his name was John. So we want to get into the story We want to read John coming into the world and the prophecy of John coming into the world. So if you would join me in Luke chapter 1, there are a lot of really amazing God things happening in chapter 1. But let's start in verse 5. It'll be on the screen if you need to, to see it there. It says, But in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah, and his wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous and in God's sight, and they lived without blame according to the commands and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving the Lord as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. And at that hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, standing right in front of the altar. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer or your petition has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and his name will be John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit with the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of righteousness, or understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Zechariah asked, how can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel responded, he said, I am Gabriel. 
who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Luke introduces us to the New Testament version of Abraham and Sarah. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been wanting a child for for years, for generation it feels like. And they were beyond the years of childbirth and it really feels like this is the New Testament version of Abraham and Sarah. But you think about why God chose them. Let's think about Zechariah. Why would God choose this one? Why would he choose this family? Zechariah was in the eighth division of the priestly order. He was one of eight, 18 to 20,000 priests. He was chosen by casting lots to enter, enter into the temple to do his duty. Everything about this seems random. This guy hasn't had children. In that day and age, that's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the things that people make fun of. He's one of 20,000, so do the math there. He's casting lots between probably up to 1,000, maybe 1,200 people. You do the mathematics on that, and some of you analytics, you've already got it for me, but just keep it to yourself for a minute. You do the math on that, that is near impossible, that Zechariah would be in the temple at that time, at that day, at that hour, in that place. Elizabeth was from a Levite family, so both of them from the same family. She was barren, and she had passed the years of childbearing. She was a relative we know of Mary who was about to be told of Jesus. So all these things are coming together, and you're like, man, this is crazy. Why would God pick them? And then he says John, which means the front runner, the messenger of Jesus coming. He's going to be a cousin to Jesus. We know this because we've studied some in the Bible. But then you look at their name. And let me tell you something. God never wastes a name or a story or a situation. So for some of you that are really wrestling and you need hope, I'm going to tell you something right now, that the situation that you're in, when the hope of God comes upon you, you will realize that you have not gone through this tough time and this situation in vain. Because God has something for you in that time. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you how or what time it's going to come through, but I promise you, based on what I'm reading in Scripture, God never wastes a person. He never wastes a name or a story. Because when I look at Zechariah and I go, man, what is Zechariah? Why is he? I mean, he's a priest. I get that. He's one of 20,000, but why would God choose him? And then you look at the meaning of his name. The meaning of his name, Zechariah, means the Lord remembers 400 years they've been waiting and all of a sudden the person that walks into the temple court is the one whose name means the Lord remembers. All of a sudden it doesn't feel so accidental. But then you look at Elizabeth and I love this, the the commentary that this one, I, I really feel like this commentator had an absolutely wonderful time writing this down because it was a little expressive. Elizabeth means my God is an absolutely faithful one. He would have been fine if he just said, my God is a faithful one. But no, let's go the extra degree. My God is absolutely faithful one. And then you look at John's name. And no, his name is not, his last name is not Baptist. But his name, John, when you unpack that, it means Yahweh. It means God is gracious. So in this moment, 400 years are all starting to come together. And what God is doing is is telling you through the people the story that not only do I remember, but I'm faithful. And not only am I remembering and am I faithful, but I'm gracious. 
And for some of you, you need to hear that, that God remembers you. He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you this Christmas season. He wants to rally around you because he is a God who remembers. He is also a God of absolute faithful. He remembers that your pain and he is going to be absolutely faithful to you and he's not going to leave you. He's going to rally people around you to lift your arms, to, to build you up. He is going to bring hope into your presence. We just need to identify where God is. And through John and through his name, we can always remember that God, that Yahweh is gracious. And then we think about the hope that changed the world. It's on its way. It is on its way. So this is not random. But let's move on to Mary's story. Let's move on to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, going through 38. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same, same guy, goes, and he goes to the town of Galilee in Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of a greeting could this be? And the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with the man? And the angel replied to her, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is, who is called childless. For nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done all according to your word. And then the angel left her. This is a big deal. This is, a, this is where the world changes right here. Because for 400 years, the people had said, God is probably not going to come today. But we're still praying and we're still hoping and we're still thinking. And then all of a sudden the angel shows up, who in Zechariah's case said, I am in the presence of the Lord. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, I'm an agent of the Lord. I'm a speaker for the Lord. And I'm saying, hope is coming. My messenger is preparing the way and your son will be the hope that changes everything. This is a big deal. Mary, by, by definition, just means favored woman. She's young. We, we, we could argue about her age, maybe go all the way into her teens. She's young. She has not been married. This is not something that really is, is accepted in culture. In fact, that's kind of why she asked the question of, hold up, what are we doing here? How is this going to be possible? And the Holy Spirit had a plan, not only to, to have her here, but also to have another relative having a baby as well, that they would build community with one another. We know from other scriptures, Gabriel also goes to Matthew and, and he prepares him and says, do not leave her. Do not cut her off. You stay with her because this is what the Lord wants. He has chosen for this. This is his plan. This is unlike anything the world has seen, and we promise you we'll protect you. And the world has protected them, or God has protected them from the world. Mary is doing some incredible things. With Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was a renewal of a promise. The fact that Jesus would later say with John, John being a big deal, Jesus would later say about his cousin and really more about this prophet 
that has come. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. This is a big deal. These are two main characters. We cannot separate this story and say that John's presence doesn't bring in this incredible season of hope and change. With Mary, God reveals that Jesus is coming to the world. More than a baby, Jesus will be the Messiah, the Son of the Most High. He would fulfill a promise that God made not only to Malachi, but even made to David. Because if you remember back in the summer, we, pre- we preached over 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, God made the promise to David. He said, and through this, hope would be restored. Your kingdom will always, or your throne will always have an heir. Jesus becomes the heir that lasts forever. He is the one that fulfills the promise. So what does all this mean? What is all that? We could stop here and be like, that's great. That's Bible stories. Those are fun. But what are the takeaways? What are the things here that we can walk out of here and say, this is, this is how I can make it through tomorrow? And I would tell you this. Number one is that hope starts with the voice of God. We looked at Malachi, two verses. We look at Luke, several sections. Hope begins with the voice of God. If we have hope in anything or, or any, anyone outside the name of God or Jesus, we're hoping in the wrong thing. Your bank account will not take you to eternity. Your football team will not take you to eternity. Your clothes, your house, your anything you want to throw in there, that relationship, that job, that whatever, the billion-dollar lottery, whatever you got, nothing outside of Jesus and God bring the eternal hope that you so desperately need. We've tried. We've tried. We've tried everything imaginable under the sun to bring us hope, have we not? Relationships, money, stuff, cars, jobs, sports teams, as crazy as that sounds. We've tried everything, but nothing brings us the hope like God. Nothing changes our our lives like the hope of Jesus. Justin last week said something, and it really resonated with me a lot. It said, it's time for the words of God to speak louder, to mean more, to have more value than the words of this world. And in this situation, if the hope of God is really going to become something inside of us, then the hope of God has to become louder than anything this world offers as hope. Because anything that comes from the world is just a mirage. It's temporal. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill. It just costs you a lot. But the hope of Jesus costs you a relationship with him and its eternal value. It's not something that just goes away. Let the words of God matter more than the words of the world. Let the Bible be the voice for God. If you know no other place to start, then start with the scriptures. Get along with your family and begin to read Luke. Go through the Advent calendar. Go through the devotionals. Get into Bible reading plans and let the voice of God speak loud to you. And don't just say, well, we heard about Luke 1, we'll move on to something else. No, go back and chew on this chapter for a long time. There's a lot of meat, there's a lot of meaning, there's a lot of message here that you could learn if you will just sit there and meditate on Scripture. It's time that we start listening to His Word and also listening for His voice, which means we have to go back to something that was in our previous series. We've got to get silent. We've got to do things that really take out the noise and create silence for us to hear the voice of God. Because if anything's competing with the voice of God, sometimes our minds and our hearts tell us that whatever is the loudest means the most. And I'm telling you, sometimes God speaks in whispers, and that means the world. Get silent so you can hear the voice of God. The second thing I would tell you is that hope is delivered on God's timing, not mine. 
Now, we joke sometimes, but we're also very serious that if God doesn't respond in five minutes, we're done. But what if we gave God a season of our lives to speak into us? What if we gave God a day of the week or an hour a day or, or moments in our lives and we began to just dedicate that time to God? So we're hearing his voice. What we would see is God's hope would be delivered on his timing. Because when God shows up, God shows up. When we try to do things our way, over, done, moving on to the next. God's time is his decision, and he will come. If we're searching, if you're searching, be patient. Give it some time. 400 years was a long time, but the people were still praying like it's coming tomorrow. You read through the Bible. You read about Jesus' second coming in the New Testament letters. They're, they're writing and they're praying and they're believing that Jesus is coming tomorrow. Not next Thursday, not six months from now, not a generation, like tomorrow. What if we lived our lives like the hope of God is coming into our lives right now, in this moment, coming soon, and we moved in a direction how our lives would change knowing that the hope of God is right there. Things would be different from us. God's timing is always perfect. It, is, it really warms my heart sometimes when we talk to people and we'll say, well, tell me about this situation. How did it work out? And, and often people will start with, you know, God's timing is just perfect. We had a situation that we didn't know what we were going to do and God showed up and it was just perfect. We had, I've, I've, several of you, we've had bills and we didn't know what was going to happen and all of a sudden God's timing was just perfect. My job gave me a promotion or my job did this or somebody gave me some back pay. We didn't know how that relationship was going to be fixed. And then all of a sudden we got a weekend away and it just, God just really ordained that weekend. God's timing was perfect. Let God's timing be God's timing, not mine. Take God off the egg timer. And when the, when the bell dings, don't give up. Keep going. The last thing I would tell you this is nothing is impossible for God. Do you notice that Mary, after she asked her question, her immediate response is, for nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel saying, look, nothing is, nothing is impossible. Zechariah was going a little different route. Like, how is this possible? And Zechariah's like, okay, let me show you because you're going to be mute. You're not going to say a word. You can sign, you can draw, whatever you need to do, but you are not saying a word until John comes on the scene. There was some doubt. But Mary's response was, nothing's impossible. The Lord said it. I believe it. How incredible it would be for us to do that if we would get to that place where nothing's impossible for God. If God said it, that's what's going to happen on his time for his glory. Are you looking for hope? Your hope is found in God. Your hope is found through God and his son, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This morning, if you would say, I need to find hope, I need to find God, we've got some prayer partners that will be on the side. They would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to counsel with you, and just to encourage you that God is real and you can have hope in him. Are you listening to God's voice? I would encourage you again to get silent and get in his word. Take out the noise. Take off the notifications of the phone. Take off the, the TV show. The DVR is a beautiful thing. Enjoy it. Program it. Set it. Go be with God and then come back to your program. Whatever you got to do, but get with God. Are you trying it your way or God's way? One of my favorite movies is Gridiron Gang. 
And if you've seen that movie, you know that the, the, the guy in the prison helping the students, he says, your way got you here. Our way has got us failure. Our way has got us hopelessness. God's way is fulfilling, satisfying, and eternal. Let's try it his way for a change. Are we being impatient? Everybody just say yes. Let's just be patient. Let's just wait on God's timing because when God comes, he's coming big time. And it's always perfect. And are we doubting? This is what I love. The power that God possessed in the Bible. Stay with me right here. Look at me so you can see my face and you can see the excitement when I say this. The same power that God possessed in the Bible is the same power that rests in you through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're like, I don't know if there's possibility of hope, I'm telling you, tap into the power of God because it rests in your heart through Jesus Christ. And that will be the thing that gets you moving and keeps you going because God is real. God didn't change. He just gets better and better the more we get to know him. Trust in his power. Advent season, we'll look at hope, we'll look at love, we'll look at joy, we'll look at peace. And all found in the person of Jesus Christ.